Lesson 5, Part 1 of Elements of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Elements of Geology by William Rushenberger. Lesson 5, Part 1. Seventh Geological Epoch. Tertiary Formation. Ordinarily, geologists designate under the collective name of secondary formation the long series of systems of rocks commencing above the transition formation with old red sandstone and coal and terminating above with the chalk, and they give the name of tertiary formation to those strata which are more recent than the chalk, and consequently superior to it, but still more ancient than the strata of the present or modern epoch. During that period, the seas were very much less extensive than they were in the more remote geological ages, and consequently, the sedimentary deposits formed in those waters are of less extent and more isolated. Moreover, their formation was affected at different points of the globe and at different periods, and to follow their history in chronological order, it is necessary to subdivide them into three groups. At that period, contemporaneous with the deposit of each one of these series of formations, there existed particular species of organized creatures, mingled with other species, like the preceding or succeeding periods. But the fauna of all the divisions of this period possess certain common characters, and among the most remarkable of these is the existence of a great number of mammals. The tertiary formation is divided into the older, middle, and newer tertiary groups, which have been conveniently designated by Mr. Lyell under the names of Eocene, Miocene, and Pliocene, the first, Eocene, from the Greek Eos, Dawn, and Kanos, Recent, designates the older tertiary strata in which there appears, as it were, the first dawn of existing species. The second, Miocene, from the Greek Myon, Less, and Kanos, Recent, is applied to the middle tertiary strata because in them we find more recent species than in the preceding group, but still fewer recent than extinct species. The third, Pliocene, from the Greek plion, more, and kanos, recent, is given to the newer tertiary beds because there is always a greater number of recent than of extinct species found in them. The Eocene, or older tertiaries. The beds thus designated are a very variable series, consisting in England and Belgium of stiff clays alternating with sand and resting on coarse sand and gravel, and in Paris of a number of limestones and marls alternating with gypsum and siliceous strata. They are deposited in basin-shaped depressions in the older rocks, and in England some portion of them has been so greatly disturbed that the beds are actually vertical. The older tertiaries of England are chiefly confined to three masses, contained in trough-shaped basins, called respectively the London, the Hampshire, and Isle of Wight basins. A stiff clay predominates in them, and from being very abundant near London is known as the London clay. The London clay often, but not always, rests on a series of sandy and gravelly beds, enclosing bands of potter's clay, to which the name of plastic clay has been given. The greatest development of Eocene strata in the United States occurs in Virginia, North and South Carolina, Georgia, and Alabama. In Virginia, these beds consist of greenish sands, nearly identical in appearance with a portion of the Cretaceous series, and of the same mineral composition and a little further to the south, a continuous formation of white limestone, Santee limestone, occurs, which is of no great thickness, and which varies in hardness 
and is composed of comminuted shells, but so closely resembling certain Cretaceous beds of the secondary period in New Jersey as to have been frequently mistaken for them. But this resemblance does not extend to the fossil contents of the beds, which are in many instances analogous, or the same as those of the Eocene formations in other parts of the world. The geological position of the city of Paris resembles that of London, each being situated upon an extensive and important group of tertiary strata, which occupies a depression or basin in the underlying chalk. The nature of the two deposits is, however, totally different, the deposit being characterized in England by great accumulations of argillaceous matter, which form the London clay, while in the neighborhood of Paris there is a varied series of limestones and marls alternating with important beds of gypsum and siliceous matter. The depression in the chalk forming the celebrated Paris Basin, so frequently named by geologists, which is filled up by these strata, is nearly 180 miles in its greatest length, and about half that in breadth. The surface of the chalk is usually covered by broken and rolled flints, often cemented by a siliceous sand into a kind of breccia, and these flints seem to mark the action of the sea upon reefs of chalk before the commencement of the tertiary epoch. The order of stratification of the Paris Basin is represented in the following table. At the bottom, chalk. Above the chalk, plastic clay. Above the plastic clay, calcaire grossier or marine limestone and calcaire silicieux or freshwater limestone. Above this, gypsum and green marls. And at the top, upper freshwater sands and upper marine sands. Above the chalk we find first deposits of plastic clay, so-called because varieties of it are well-suited for the manufacture of pottery. In the neighborhood of Montereau on one side, between Udan and Dreux on the other, it is remarkable for its whiteness and purity and is used in the fabrication of the finest porcelain. Around Paris it is colored and impure, and suitable only for coarse pottery. These clays contain lignite, in which we see, perhaps for the first time, mingled with numerous conifers, phanerogamous monocotyledons, true palms, and some dicotyledons. Marine as well as freshwater shells are found in its upper part. Above the plastic clay we find thick deposits of marine limestones, more or less arianaceous in structure, the different beds of which may be easily distinguished by their characters. These limestones contain a prodigious quantity of miliolites, extremely small shells, the most of which do not attain 0.0397 of an inch in size, and yet they constitute a great number of genera. These serve, in a manner, as paste to an immense number of shells of different genera, which are more analogous to creatures now living than any we have hitherto mentioned. Three percent of them are even identical with species now existing in the neighboring seas. The cerithia are here so abundant that the formation is sometimes known by the name of cerithia limestone, although these same fossils are found in many other deposits. There are certain species which are characteristic. That is, they are always found wherever these deposits exist. Such, for example, is the cerithium giganteum, sometimes 27 inches in length, the extremity of which is almost always worn or broken by the friction and knocks occasioned by the movement of the animal. Among other shells, of which there are a great many species, it is difficult to name any which are absolutely characteristic. Among the most common are the Turritella imbricataria, the Ampullaria acuta, the Terabellum fusiforme, the Mitra scabra, the Crassatella sulcata, the Cardium porulosum. 
With these species are found a great many others, which have been described and figured in a great many books on the environs of Paris. There are species which are much more common than those named, but some of them are not found everywhere, and others are seen first in the superior formations. Above the marine limestone, or rather parallel with it, we find what is named fresh water or siliceous limestone, so called because there is mingled in it a considerable quantity of silex, sometimes uniformly disseminated, and at others forming here and there more or less voluminous masses which constitute the millstone without shells, which is wrought into millstones. Fluviatile shells are found in the lower parts of this bed, such as limnia and planorbis. The next group in the general series of Paris Basin rocks consists of white and green marls, with a considerable quantity of gypsum, the latter being chiefly developed in the center of the basin. The upper parts both of the marine and freshwater limestone alternate occasionally with marls, but the latter form, on the whole, a distinct overlying group of freshwater origin and contain land and fluviatile shells, fragments of wood, and great numbers of the bones of freshwater fishes, of crocodiles and other reptiles, of birds and even of quadrupeds, the latter being usually isolated and often entire. The gypsum beds, having been extensively quarried for the manufacture of plaster of Paris, obtained by burning the gypsum. They have yielded a multitude of these mammalian remains, which form the base of the great discoveries of Cuvier, so that the investigation of them by that anatomist may even be considered to have laid the foundation of the science of paleontology, so far as it is dependent on sound principles of analogy. It is chiefly in the lower parts of the gypsum that these extinct quadrupeds are found. Such, for example, are the anoplotherium and paleotherium, pachydermatous animals, more or less approaching to the rhinoceros and tapir, of which there were several species. The common anoplotherium, from the Greek alpha without, oplon, arm, and therian, animal, was of the size of an ass, of a heavy form, and with thick short legs and a long tail. Some species had slender legs and must have been swift and active, and others of the size of a hare and even of a guinea pig, which were nevertheless adult. The paleotherium, from the Greek paleos, ancient, and therian, a beast, was of the size of a horse, and form of a tapir. Species of various size, both large and small, existed. Above the gypsum, we find another more modern group, consisting of two formations, one marine and the other fresh water. They are composed of marls, micaceous and quartzose sands, and layers of flint. These beds of sand are often of great thickness, and are at first colored by oxide of iron, and then white and pure. They frequently form masses of sandstone, sometimes without organic remains, or only rolled shells of the marine limestone. Sometimes, on the contrary, they contain the casts or impressions of shells. On these sandstones repose new lacustrine deposits, forming sometimes shell millstone filled with limnia, planorbis, and seeds of chara or gyrogonites. The Miocene or Middle Tertiary Period during this second part of the tertiary period, both terrestrial and aquatic animals became more numerous and more like those of our own times. Then there existed a great number of mollusks belonging to species which still inhabit the seas of the present epoch. In England, the Miocene tertiary is represented by a thin and variable heap of gravelly strata called the crag formation, which is divided into three parts, 
The lowest is called coralline crag, because a great many coral remains are found in it. The next is the red crag, distinguished by its deep ferruginous stain. The uppermost is named Norwich, or mammaliferous crag, which is of more recent origin than the red crag and contains bones of large mammals and occasionally freshwater shells. An extensive series of Miocene beds occupies the whole surface of both shores of the Chesapeake Bay, a hundred miles north and south and fifty miles wide. A similar series occurs in Virginia. The lowest beds of the Chesapeake series are argillaceous and the uppermost are sandy. Both series abound in fossils and when met on the side of a river, they are sometimes found to consist of little else than shells and the remains of zoophytes, often in a high state of preservation. The Miocene tertiaries prevail extensively on the continent of Europe in various river basins. They occupy a considerable portion of the west of France, filling up the basins of the Loire and Garonne. They fill up also a great part of the valley of the Middle Rhine and the whole of the Great Valley of Switzerland between the Alps and the Jura chain, and from Switzerland they extend towards the northeast, following the course and partly filling up the valley of the Danube. From point to point, they may here be traced, spreading out into extensive series near Vienna and in Styria, and occurring again in the plains of Hungary. They are also found in Poland and Russia. They appear both in northern and southern Italy, and on the shores and islands of the Mediterranean. The Miocene beds of the basin of the Loire are chiefly developed near the city of Tours, and in the Touraine district, where they consist for the most part of broken shells. These beds, however, sometimes afford a building stone, the comminuted shells being mixed with sand and gravel and cemented by calcareous matter. In Switzerland, there is a series of tertiary sandstones of the Miocene period, and between the lakes of Geneva and Lucerne, these beds consist of a coarse conglomerate called Nagelfleur, passing into a finer sandstone, the molasse of French geologists which is usually soft and incoherent, but sometimes sufficiently hard to be used as a building stone. Various beds of lignite and marl are irregularly distributed through the molasse, which are evidently of freshwater origin. The marine deposits of the Miocene strata, although abounding in shells, do not contain as great a number of species as the marine limestone of the Paris Basin, yet 18% of these species are identical with those now living in the neighboring seas. There is often the strongest analogy between these new deposits and the lower limestones with which they have been confounded. Yet if we do frequently observe a common aspect, and often find the same shells in both, there is, nevertheless, essential differences between them. In one case, we no longer find species characteristic of the lower deposits. There is no cerithium giganteum, no cardium porulosum, etc., in the other, we find new remains, which we did not meet with before, such as the Bolanus crassus, the Rostellaria pespolicini, the Pectin pleuronectes, etc., which are never found in the Paris Basin, but exist in the subapennine formation. The strata belonging to this period of the tertiary formation contain diverse species of paleotherium, but differing from those found in the Paris gypsum. Here we also find several other species of animals, which constitute genera, no trace of which is met with in the preceding formation, and which totally disappear in the succeeding epoch. Here we find the remains of mastodons, from the Greek mastos, a nipple, and odos, tooth, animals analogous to the elephant, 
but whose teeth have crowns studded with conical or nipple-like points instead of being flat. On the Miocene beds we also find the gigantic Dinotherium, from the Greek dinos, circular, and therion, a beast, an animal resembling the tapir, which is remarkable by having the tusks turned downwards. It was first found in Hesse, afterwards near Ach, by Monsieur Latte, who subsequently found in the same place the bones of monkeys. Remains of the rhinoceros, of the hippopotamus, and of the castor are also found in these deposits. Quote, the Dinotherium is the largest of the terrestrial mammalia of whose existence we have any positive knowledge, but as it is not a matter of absolute certainty at present of what nature its extremities may have been, we are hardly in a condition to speak very decidedly of its general appearance or habits. It is chiefly known by the fragments of the head and teeth, which exhibit a near approach, the former to the cetacean tribe and the latter to the tapir, but there is a remarkable and very striking anomaly in the existence of two large and heavy tusks placed at the extremity of the lower jaw and curved downwards like the tusks in the upper jaw of the walrus. It is probable, from the size and position of these tusks, as well as from the structure of the bones of the head, that the animal was aquatic in its habits, living almost entirely in the water and feeding on such succulent plants as it could there obtain. The length of the Dinotherium is calculated to have been at least as much as 18 feet, and its proportions were, probably, very much the same as those of the great American tapir. It was provided with a trunk which seems to have been short, but extremely large and powerful, and capable of being employed to tear up the food which the tusks, acting like pickaxes, may have loosened. Unquote. Anstead. The Miocene is very rich in combustible material. To it belong the lignites of Languedoc, of Provence, Switzerland, and most of those of Germany, as well as the masses of earthy combustible in the neighborhood of Cologne. All these lignites appear to have been formed chiefly from conifers, the structure of which may be recognized in the mass of combustible itself or in the wood disseminated through various deposits. But the tertiary sandstones of the Miocene period, the molasse, also contain a great quantity of dicotyledonous plants, the wood of which is here and there found disseminated, sometimes in a siliceous state, and clearly exhibiting the proper tissue or structure of this class of plants, particularly characterized by the presence of large longitudinal vessels. We also find leaves, often in great numbers, in the clays which accompany the lignites, in the characters of which we distinctly recognize existing dicotyledons such as walnuts, maples, elms, birches, etc. Even fruits are found, which are distinguished, often with difficulty, from those now growing. We also find in this formation, either in the midst of deposits of combustible, as in those of Liblar near Cologne, or in the argillaceous or sandy matter of the formation, the remains of monocotyledonous plants. There is wood presenting the structure of the palms, that is, an assemblage of woody fasciculi, bundles, longitudinally arranged, without regard to regularity, in the middle of cellular tissue. Leaves, like the representation, are also met with. We find, too, in the Miocene, gypsum of the same nature as that of the Paris Basin, which has led to the supposition that they were of the same epoch. But besides this section of country being formed of the molasse, the organic remains are not of the same species. Towards the close of the Miocene or second epoch of the tertiary period, a new upheaval appears to have taken place in the region of the Alps, 
a part of this complicated chain of mountains had then long existed. Thus, the Alps of Provence and of Dauphiny, which belong to a system of which Montviso is the most remarkable point, date from the interval elapsed between the deposit of the inferior and upper layers of the Cretaceous system. Other portions of the Alpine region were raised up at the same time as the Pyrenees, that is, after the Cretaceous period, for example, the neighborhood of Castel Gombert, and in the mountains which connect the Alps to the Jura, we perceive traces of an upheaval contemporaneous with that of Corsica, which occurred after the deposit of the Eocene, or first period of the tertiary formation. But the greater part of this majestic barrier between Italy and the north seems to have acquired its present configuration and to have attained the immense height we now observe in more recent times. The chain of the Western Alps appears to have been upheaved after the deposit of the Miocene, or second series of the tertiary, and the chain extending from Valais towards Austria appears to be of still more recent origin. Dating from the geological convulsion which gave to the Western Alps their existing prominence, and at different points produced the elevation of the molasse and other tertiary strata of the Miocene period, as well as those of more ancient epochs, Europe presented a great continental space, and during the period of tranquility which followed this catastrophe, marine deposits did not take place except on the shores or in gulfs not far from the center of this region, as in the sub-Apennine hills, in some parts of Sicily, and on a portion of the coast of England. But sedimentary deposits occurred in the basins or valleys of still existing rivers, and in some lakes of fresh water, which a more recent geological revolution has caused to disappear. End of Lesson 5, Part 1